Welcome to the Smart Talk series, a Henry George School of Social Science podcast. The Smart Talk series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Our discussion today came from our archives and was recorded in May of 2020. Our talk is hosted by Ed Dodson, who is joined by Philip Anderson. Philip is the founder and director of Economic Indicator Services and Property Share Market Economics, two firms that help companies understand and navigate business and economic cycles. Mr. Anderson earned his bachelor's degree from RMIT University in Australia. He is also the author of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, an analysis of property and debt cycles and how investors can understand the market. Philip joined the Henry George School to discuss the relationship between real estate and recessions, how Alaska's oil dividend reduces inequality, and how debt and inflation play a role in long-term economic trends. We hope you enjoy this talk, and please make sure to check back on our page every week for a brand new episode. Yeah, hi, Ed. It's uh, uh... Really good to catch up with you, as always. I think the last time was in Melbourne, was it not, a year or two ago? Yeah, a couple of years ago, and uh, I'd love to have you back in the States and spend some time with you again. Uh, yeah, we've got to do that. We've got to do I, that. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting state of affairs at the moment, but um, Ed, as you know, uh, I find uh, one of the great ways to view uh, what's happening at the moment is to study U.S. history back in uh 18 to 20 year cycles, it comes out at 18.6, what I do, but um, it really uh, helps me put some perspective on what's happening now so I can get a good idea of, uh, of um, how things go, uh, if, if that makes sense. And, and uh, the way I do that is, is just look at, um, uh, as a rough guide, you know, um, United States, uh, American real estate, since, um, you know, way back to 1800, it's been a very regular pattern, and it's it's 14 years of rising prices, sometimes punctured in the middle of that, around about year seven, with a bit of a uh, recessionary-type small downturn, but otherwise 14 years up, and then it's four down. We get the extreme after 14 years, and then uh, and then we panic, and um, it's been uh, it's been a very regular pattern. In fact, it's been so regular it becomes hard to. Hard to believe sometimes that things can be as regular as that. Well, let me ask you a question then. Would it be your conclusion that the property markets are the main driver of the economic cycle, or uh, you know, how does the uh, the analysis you do on you know equities, equity markets, and commodity market cycles, how do they fit in as leading or lagging indicators, or? Always comes back to um, the real estate market, but when I when I say the real estate market, um, you have to call it the land market. Right. And when I say the land market, um, as of course uh, geoists and, and Georgists would understand, it's that the land market is really the enclosed uh, rental value of the land, it, uh, the enclosed rent or the, the enclosed economic rent, you might call it. Um, I don't want to get too uh, technical with with those things, but. Uh, you know the way we, the way we, uh, the, the annual rental value of the land enclosed roughly at a, at a multiple of about five percent, which is over twenty years, capitalizes into a price, and uh, we trade that price, uh, we buy and sell that price. Um, what makes the cycle so pronounced 
now since the probably since about the Second World War is that the banking system they have learned to monetize that uh, that enclosed uh, rental value that enclosed economic rent and that has made the the booms uh, much more pronounced now we a really really significant move in the 14 years up and of course the higher the boom goes and the, the height of the boom is determined by the amount of credit that the that the banks create that leads of course then to the bust and since the second world war you've seen that uh, the, the the federal reserve and the other other um uh, agencies, the other the other central bankers around the world, they've had to come up with ingenious ways of uh, ameliorating that collapse after the 14th year, um, such that the system doesn't collapse. And you know, you've, as you saw after 2008, 2009, the ingenious way the banks had of of um, just of creating, uh, trying to inflate the system, uh, which which really just alleviates and ameliorates the. The downturn such that we move into the next one, and it's been um, uh, it's been a regular a regular thing. So that's the that's the boom bust these days. It's it's interesting that um, the cycle seems to be repetitive, and I think you would agree it's on average eighteen years. It's not always yeah, yeah. no on average on average. And so you know part of the part of the policy issues are uh, are raised, or what should government do to to mitigate the, the booms and bust swings. Um, that seems to be a real difficult, you know, uh, problem for governments all over the world, knowing what to do. And in the United States, for example, you alluded to it, uh, after the 2008 crash, the Federal Reserve here reduced interest rates to very, very low levels, trying to basically prop up the property markets to bring them back from their initial decline. And even before that, you know, my own experience, as you may recall, I, I was at Fannie Mae until 2005 yeah. and looking at the um, property prices, it was clear to me that as interest rates were falling, it was actually pulling up property prices because it was stimulating the sort of speculative fuel that was added to the, added to the fires. Yes. And then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the United States did something that was even more um, um, effective in raising property prices. Every year, they would look at median property prices, and if the property prices were going up, we would raise the maximum loan limits. So it really made it you know, possible with the falling interest rates, maximum loan limits, people were borrowing more. And so exposing themselves to greater degrees of risk in the event that there's a recessionary downturn. And I wonder now that in the U.S. today, property prices, median property prices in many metropolitan areas are higher than they were in 2008. Yes, yes. You see that we're close to another uh, cyclical downturn in, in the property markets here and how they the markets. It, it, it's a – the whole – the whole system is a minefield. Um, to answer the, the question directly is, uh, at, at the, in the current uh, property cycle, we're only halfway through. We've had, uh, we've had seven, almost eight years up now since the bottom around 2012. So it's been a typical cycle so far. Um, seven years up, uh, we're due for a pause now. 
Um, I don't think that pause will be very much of a of a downturn and probably flat sideways, if anything else. Uh, and then we get into the second half of the system. Um, but the whole the whole area is a minefield because uh, you know governments get to learn pretty quick that that homeowners tend to vote uh, more conservative than than anything else, uh, and so governments have to protect that whole system of house prices going up because when house prices start going down, uh, people change their voting habits and then kick out the government and then a new change comes in and, and you know, politicians don't like losing power, as you, as you know. Um, plus also, uh, you know, you, as you've seen with, um, with the current president in the United States, that he's doing everything possible to, uh, to augment the system, um, spending a lot of money. Uh, and what... What the the what the, the education level I find, or the the understanding, especially in the economics profession, the understanding level isn't there, uh, such that they see land and property as part of the whole economic equation. Even worse than that, and this is what I try to show continually for my subscribers, uh, all of the, as you well know, all of the improvements that take place, the socioeconomic progress, all of the inventions, everything that happens, in the, in the end, all of that capitalises into the price of land. You know, it increases, it increases right. the rent, it increases the locational value of the property, which, of course, means you, 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 it, the, the price goes up, which we have to borrow more now because the banks have monetised that rent. We have to borrow more to buy into the system. So banks, people, property, prop, um, the presidents, the um, governments, they have a real incentive and a vested interest now to protect that system. And, and, and the understanding just isn't there that all the gains in the end go into land value. So that's just going to keep going up uh, and just goes up. And the history of it is uh, 14 years up roughly. So we haven't hit that. We haven't, we're only halfway through this, uh, through this um, current cycle and normally, uh, history shows that that every every current cycle is has all, since you know since two hundred years now has been bigger than the one before it. And the second half of the cycle, every cycle, the second half has been much bigger than the first half. So uh, I think we're in for yet uh, another big boom upwards. And uh, you know everything that's happening at the moment, more and more magnified, more debt, uh, more spending, more government. Uh, we've hardly started this cycle yet. Well, before we go on much more, I should let our viewers know that you're the, uh, the, the founder of a firm based in London titled Economic Indicator Services. And yeah. you started that firm about what year, 2007 or so? Oh, no, that's well, 10 years before that, about the early, oh. the mid-1990s, I think I started. Okay. And, and a lot of what you're telling us today is in the book that was published in 2008, The Secret yes. Life of Real Estate. Yes. And so viewers, if they really want to get into the nitty gritty and details of the history, um, they should get hold of your book. Yes, uh, yes. It's a very easy read. It's called, you know, especially for, uh, especially for uh, you know, the uh, Americans over there. It's all American, purely American history. And it just gives you the history of all the cycles in the past. Once you see that, it's astounding how it unfolds. And you know, look at the look at the look at the current cycle. We we now have a uh, um, a, a real a real estate man right at the top of the system as president. You know, he's he's doing everything that a real estate man should to uh, 
to uh, increase property prices and and make a, a government and laws for real estate speculators, it's it's an ideal scenario for a second half really big boom. And the question, I guess, in my mind is whether or not uh, the this impetus to prop up property prices has reached a stress level that if there's any kind of a recessionary downturn, it could bring about a really catastrophic crash. I mean, that's, you know, the, the statistical correlation between income and wealth concentration uh, that existed in two, 2008 was greater than in, in 1929, and now it's even worse. And that, I guess that scares me more than anything else that unless we the polit the politicians can do something to to scale back that that concentration of income and wealth at the top, we are going to experience enormous stress stress on the economies in many countries. Uh, and then we'll be at a point where you know, once it crashes at that point, it's going to take a long time for us to dig out of the bottom of the trough before the cycle could even begin again. Yeah, I'm with you, and I am, I can see that. You you see that you know in all my travels and everywhere I've been, uh, I tend to note, and you can see it um, particularly uh, in the United States. You can see it in all of the states I travel through. The majority of people are about two weeks away from bankruptcy, mostly. Right. Uh, you know that they're, they're earning they're Many of them, of course, have, have good jobs, but even the jobs they've got, uh, they don't get much of a chance to save and, and, and there are a lot of people on the margins and you look at all the talk at the moment, it's, it's just it's, a, it's another classic, uh, classic behavioural part of the cycle where you've got the, um, uh, Mr Trump, the current president over there, he's, he's now, you know, the budget that's just come out, it's uh, more military spending, it's, it's more... Uh, spending on pet government projects, and he's now and, and more talk about a, a shot at the, a shot at Mars, so spending for all of that. And yet, then he, he turns around on the other hand, and he's uh, trying to do everything possible to eliminate uh, uh, social welfare benefits and, and uh, food stamps and take that away from uh, the, the marginalised. Um, all of that is a classic build-up uh, towards the, the end of the cycle, and so. You get, as we go into 2025 and 2026, and I think if history repeats, 2026 will be the peak rough uh, around that year, there'll be a lot of credit being created. Uh, you know, I, I would not be surprised at all to see US unemployment go even lower than it is now. It'll, it'll, it'll smash record lows. Things will look really good. Lots of credit. People, there'll be more spending. The people, the big loans will be available. We'll find banks will find new ways of lending. There'll be the, the currencies and the blockchain and cryptocurrencies and everything else, and things will look really fine. But that's only that'll be looking that way because we're creating so much credit on the surface, and, and nobody will be paying attention to all the statistics that you provide, Ed, which which are really good, where you can see you can see the underlying the people that are on the margin. You can see that actually. On the surface, things look really good. But as you've shown, underneath, you delve down a little bit and things are not looking that good at all. And, and history you, shows is that, is that a worldwide observation? Is that an observation that you would make about most of the countries in the world, China and Japan included, et cetera? Well, yes, I can give you a, I can give an example. I'll give you a, just a personal example. As you know, I spend quite a bit of time in, in Jakarta these days. 
Um, and uh, Jakarta in Indonesia, it's a wonderful place, a fantastic place to live. And, you know, you can get your servants and there's quite a lot of big wealth disparity. But you can also, you get a lot of things delivered with Gojek and, and deliveries and stuff that all come through their motorbikes and stuff. Um, I'm quite partial to, just to give you a personal example, I'm quite partial to the Indonesian sweet potato. So you can get that, you can get that delivered. But sometimes, you know, the sweet potato, I think it's about, Oh, look, it's a couple of it's a couple of dollars uh, to actually have to buy and then have delivered. But sometimes on occasion, the, the deliverer, which is on a motorbike, sometimes uh, he has to cancel the order because he doesn't actually have enough money in his pocket to actually buy the potatoes and then get reimbursed for it when he delivers it to me. Hmm. So that's your scenario where you've got. So it, it's all fine for these for these people. They're all doing wonderfully well at the moment because the economy's booming. But once it once it turns down, when you get to the situation where and after and the history shows it's fourteen years up, you get into that fourteenth year, and then things turn, and it, it only turns when the when the when the land value reaches a peak and finally starts to to turn downwards. And if, as you know, if you get land value going below the value of all the loans outstanding, then the banks have a serious problem. When that downturn starts and progresses, those people that that uh, are only you know they're they're a week or two away from from uh, from their from uh, not being able to pay some of their debts that they've built up. Uh, people are on the margins. When it turns down, people start losing their jobs. It just starts to get worse and worse. You know, it, um, when it turns, people people the, the marginalised will feel it very quickly once it turns. You see, well, you know, the issue of being marginalised in the United States. I. I just finished teaching uh, a semester-long course on the state of the U.S. economy and our society, and I looked at a lot of the the uh, income and wealth statistics, the concentration, and how how you know uh, serious it is. And for those people, for those people in households in the United States who are homeowners, they have. Uh, roughly about $150,000 net worth. And that sounds like a fairly decent amount of money, but it's really not that great. When you look at the 35% of the U.S. households that are renters, those are the people who are most at risk. They yes. have net worth less than $10,000. When you even look further down, for example, by age group and by race, African-American households have much less, Hispanic households have much less than the median. And then uh, senior citizens, um, I'm 72 now, so I'm up in that senior citizen group. And most of my students that I teach these days are older. And uh, I fear for them. One out of four people 65 years old or older in the United States survives on social security benefits alone they have no savings no pension yes. and you know if the current administration here follows through and it was successful in cutting back on social security benefits i don't know what would happen to those people would- yeah no, i understand it's uh, they're on the they you know things don't need to turn down a lot to get a, to start getting a number of problems but having said all of that you know, um, I'm actually I'm actually very bullish overall for the for the 21st century. Um, 
there are there are so many uh, developments happening now. There are the, the promise of there are so many things uh, done, particularly in Asia that they're having to now uh, remodel and rebuild uh, all of the airports. There's a lot more travel happening. Uh, we are going into a, an era of uh, you know potentially um, driverless cars. Uh, that has enormous potential for driverless trucks, driverless planes. Um, a lot of disruption happening to those to those industries. Uh, I, I'm actually I remain quite bullish overall. I think there's going to be an enormous amount of jobs uh, created. Uh, it's going to leave behind those that don't keep up with their technological skills. But uh, you know, I, I look at my you know my son Alan. He's uh, he's 18. He's just started university now. Um, I would happily I would happily uh, swap positions or, or go back to being um, 18. <laughs> the, the the potential and what he of what he can do. And I know I can see it with his with him with he and all these university mates. You know, they're in France, as you know. Um, they're. They're not in the slightest worried about. Uh, they've got very few worries. They're not in the slightest worried about the future at all. They know that uh, the future is different. They know that they've got more edge and potential than than their parents and I have. I mean, you know, he's he just laughs at my tech skills. Uh, he's got enormous potential and uh, the stuff that they're doing. Uh, you know, the job that he might end up having in a few years' time probably hasn't been invented yet. Uh, um, you know, so talking about, I know, I know, a lot of people are on the margin, and statistics show that uh, underneath the economy, especially in the United States, things can be grim. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think we're going to see a whole 21st century of interest rates extraordinarily low, very little inflation. That's very good for for firms and and for people that uh, can be creative and develop stuff because they can take that that long term. Uh, picture because there's no inflation. That's very good for uh, creativity. Um, you know, we'll get we'll get flying taxis. We'll get. Uh, it mightn't happen in the next five years, but it is coming. You know, uh, that will fundamentally alter the locational value of uh, practically every city. Um, it's just going to change everything, and it's going to create some enormous. Uh, investment potential that people will take hold of. You know, you can True. see it. I see it with uh, Amazon, for, for example, where Amazon buy into the into the groceries field in the US. Uh, you know, the, the, the Jeff Bezos there, he's looking at uh, drone delivery and uh, the potential is just absolutely enormous, Ed. So I'm excited by all that at the same time. Yeah, I am. I am too. The, in, the level of innovation that's occurring all around the world, really creative people doing remarkable things, I guess I go back to basics coming out of the housing sector and particularly, you know, my knowledge is about the U S markets, yeah. the, the absence of affordable housing for young people in the United States, where it's like, wherever there are jobs, there's no housing. Yeah, if you right. don't need to work, you can find affordable housing and you can find a lower cost standard of living. But if you, if you need to work and, you know, even if you can, if you, you're in a high-tech area and you can work from home or you can work from a distance from a central place, it's still very expensive for young people to enter the housing market. My feeling uh, is that we have to do something as a social policy to create affordable housing because we're not going to tame the land markets. I mean, er even everything you said so far is suggests that the land markets are still going to climb and climb. 
Yes. And well, that's, that's the thing. It, as you know, it's the, the fundamental fact that uh, just gets overlooked and isn't understood uh, um, is the fact that the, at the end of the day, the land value takes all the gains. You know, as I'm, I'm quite fond of saying, you know, the uh, um, if 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 gravity had a vested interest like the real estate market does, you know, if gravity had a vested vested interest, we wouldn't have discovered gravity yet and all the laws. You see, because, you know, the whole system has a vested interest in, in, in keeping that fact from most people. And so it all builds into the locational advantage. And, and as you say, where the locational value builds most, I mean, you only have to look at uh, Seattle where, where Amazon is, that the, the massive building that they do and taking up of all the space, it just uh, makes um, uh, housing unaffordable for the very people that have to work there. You know, and how nobody sees this, and then, of course, you, you get Microsoft and Amazon coming forward with all these programs because they've got stacks of money, all these programs to try and make housing affordable, which, of course, as you know, simply adds to the price because they're trying to provide loans for people, just makes allows them to bid more for the house. Uh, when do you think people are going to wake up, Ed, about all this? Uh, all this, and I just don't see it. I don't know, Phil. I've been teaching... I've been teaching political economy based on Henry George's analysis for four decades now. And, and I, and I was an insider in the industry that helped to fuel the market, you know, dynamics that we've all experienced. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the experts, I worked with very bright people for who wanted to do good and really, yes. you know, wanted to do well by doing good. We're not trying to to uh, take from people without offering valuable services in return or very or products in return. And still, it was very difficult to get anyone to really pay any attention to the underlying land markets that were driving the property markets as a whole. We were we were constantly just trying to put band aids on the problem, and and I that's why I guess I'm I'm more. Uh, I won't say cynical, but I'm concerned that unless we do something in every country that has this dynamic going on about providing affordable housing, whether it's by creating community land trusts or by the local communities subsidizing the construction of affordable housing with deed restrictions, that we're you now we're going to set ourselves up in in virtually every country for a really, not just an economic problem, but a really social, uh, you know, problem. And maybe you can explain something to me on that situation. Why, why in America does nobody, does absolutely nobody ignore or pay attention to the, to the system they've got in Alaska where they have what's called a citizen's dividend, which actually is taken out of the rent and it was set up by a Republican, very conservative governor back in the 1970s that decided that that they would take the oil rents and the rents of uh, some of what uh, they do and mine in Alaska. So every Alaskan citizen gets about 1,500 US every year. So for a family of four, that's about six or $7,000 every year. Um, and you end up, I think you've seen the stats, when you look at uh, Alaska as, as one of the 50 states, Alaska is the, the least... It's it's the most equitable uh, whole stuff. Why does nobody pay attention in, well, in that uh, thing? It, that has a complex uh, history, and part of it is related to the mining laws that have existed in the United States since the 1800s. And those mining laws are very generous to companies that extract minerals, timber companies as well. Uh, 
Well, of course, they were, they were paying the politicians to create the laws, of course. Well, and, the, and so in the Western states where these laws exist, the mining companies, the timber companies, they're very good at supporting the, their legislative uh, candidates who basically promise that they will do everything they can to protect those subsidies. Now, Alaska was a, was a new state. So, Ed, when you... When you when you talk to Alaskans, if if anybody in Alaska tr sought to change that 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 uh, citizens' dividend that they get, th there's absolute uproar. Nobody wants to touch it. Once the people get it, yeah. Well, you have to remember, Alaska did not become a state. It was a territory until 1959, and so you had you had a whole different population of people settling in Alaska. They did not have the same sort of political uh, system that the other states had. And yeah. so when it finally became a state, you had a whole different attitude about the relationship between the citizens and the resources in that state. So, but, but you know, there are other historians, there are people probably can give you a much better answer than I have. I mean, certainly it's been talked about as a best practice, as something for other states to do, but I think the political political hurdles of getting yeah. uh, legislators who are dependent upon political camp campaign contributions from the major, major resource extraction companies are yeah. not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Yes, yes. That's the well, best I can tell you now, yeah, I, I can tell you now, Ed, um, the way things are going, the, uh, the way things are working uh, out in the US, because nobody's paying attention to the citizen dividend that everybody could get, we are getting a classic real estate cycle set up that's going to go into 2026. You've now got, you've now got a, uh, a, a real estate president, uh, bless his heart there, that, that is, he's, running, he's running America exactly how he ran his companies in the late 1980s and 1990s. He is spending enormous amounts of money and creating a tr trillion dollar deficits now um, which is going to as you alluded to at the beginning it's uh, it's creating an enormous debt uh, that's building into 2026 um, uh, it just will never be paid off um, things will look swimmingly as we go into 2026, but it's just a it's a it's a classic setup of of as much debt as possible, as much spending as possible, so that he can he can look good and get re get reelected. He's cutting all of the social programs, which will put even more Americans uh, uh, on the margin or, or uh, even more reliant on on uh, handouts and, and the job that they've got, which is uh, the job a lot of jobs being created, of course, are low paying. Um, You've got that set up coming. Where if, you know, if we're not going to change the system, uh, the system will just uh, keep doing what it's doing, and uh, you know we're going to get a, we're going to get a massive boom into then uh, a massive bus after that into 2028-29. Yeah, well, a question I guess is, can the, will the cycle be accelerated because of the debt? I mean, I think about the United States, for example, and. Uh, if after the first administration, first four years of Donald Trump in office, we're going to be about $25 trillion as a public debt. Yes. Now, if interest rates, if the Federal Reserve decided to use its standard inflation fighting policies by tightening credit and raising interest rates, that means every time a government security matures, it's going to be refunded at a higher interest cost. Yes. 
and and the Republican administration is not likely to uh, raise the revenue via with higher taxation. So they're going to have more cuts in social welfare spending, which leaves the cities and states to pick up the cost because they're not going to they're not going to be able to just let these people who are no longer receiving any federal revenue sharing, you know, just uh, become even more and more homeless. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, I'm just very fearful that the, that our politicians and, and maybe you can speak to the political situation in, in Australia as well. Is it going to, are they following the same sort of path and are the same sort of dangers that with this next crash, it won't be simply a correction. It could be catastrophic. Well, I just look to I just look to uh, history uh, on that score, and the cycles are pretty clear. As we as we go into the the thirteenth and fourteenth year, that's the time when that's the time when the most people have got the most money because the most credit is being created, and it, things look. Uh, things look the best. Um, it'll be a time when things just turn a little bit, and it's you. It's always the same thing. Uh, inflation will rise a little bit, and then you get a situation where you just you said you're quite right before. Um, we'll get a situation where uh, interest rates rise a little bit, or the, the Fed has to start. They get they panic with a little bit of inflation, and interest rates have to go up. Now this every cycle is a little bit different. And this particular cycle, because, because the fundamental rule that everybody forgets, because the land in the finish, the land price takes all the gains, with all the rates having come down, even to negative rates now, uh, that, that, of course, meant that the land value really did take all the gains and it's risen way out of proportion to what it should, which is the same every cycle. So as we go into 2025-26, it isn't going to take very much of an interest rate rise to actually push everybody into a state where they just can no longer afford their debts because the property prices will have risen so much, especially with so much technology and interest rates so low. So as always, it'll be a it'll be a rise of interest rates in some particular small proportion that'll just push things over the edge, which people won't notice first up. Uh, and then things turn. Uh, and then we, you know, we go down into the bust. It's always the system will burst and the system will break at the weakest link. Uh, it's always the same. It, it's not. I'm not saying it's easy to identify the weakest link. This time, however, because the, the the system never repeats exactly, it may not be the banks themselves that are the weakest link. It could be, it could be uh, the currencies. It could be something else that'll be a little bit different that probably nobody will see. Uh, and then it's that weakest link that uh, where where the where the debts are that uh, then causes um, will cause some sort of panic. I don't know what that'll be, but I, I just know that after 14 years up, uh, it's always the same. The, the government's heavily in debt. People are heavily in debt. Uh, land prices have risen way too high, and uh, we're set up. We're set up for the bust. And uh, and uh, the current president, President Trump, President Trump, he is the, as a real estate man. I don't make a comment on. Uh, on uh, him as, uh, as a personal president, but just just um, he's very much within the system, and uh, he's uh, he's a, just creating a classic setup of uh, debt, real estate, uh, everything, which is just fourteen years up. It's just it's just perfect within the cycle. One of the observations you make in your book, 
which I always thought was really interesting, is whenever the tallest building is about to be finished in a city, we've reached about the top of the cycle and we're ready for a correction. Yes. Now, I look around the world right now and I look at the tallest buildings seem to be built in China and Dubai and maybe a few, I don't know, Singapore. But uh, we don't seem to have that impetus in the United States or, or the UK or most of the European countries that I've, I've observed. Do you have any? Oh, any? It, it never, it, things are never, it's never quite the same and it can't be obvious. So this time, going into 2025 and 26, you might have to look for something a little bit different. It might not necessarily be the tallest, but you could look, for example, you could get some sort of announcement. So, you know, without trying to be facetious or something, but, you know, you could look for announcement, for example, uh, um, the creation of Trump Tower on Mars or, or Trump Tower on the moon or something like that, where somebody comes, in, comes along with 2025 and 26 that's got a lot of money, just comes up with something that's just completely over the top. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get built, but it, it just these these uh, these announcements. You know, it could be um, it could be some new technology or something that allows uh, something outrageous and new to get built, and suddenly everybody pours into that sort of thing with all their money, and then then we're set for the top. So this time again, there's so many new buildings, so many tall buildings being built. It doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get exactly the same repeat, but I'm confident that. To, after 14 years up, so it's 14 years from 2012. In but it 2000- is one of the, it's one of the indicators that you yeah. can look at just to keep yeah. keep in mind. Yes, yes, that's right. And you you want to watch for some some enormous uh, announcement, you know, of, of some sort that, that's just going to just put things right over the top. What about uh, the the tariff war that's going on right now between the United States and other countries. Uh, you know, at studying Henry George as I did, uh, I really came down on the side that, yeah, we need to work for free trade and that, that yes. protectionist policies are certainly not in the best interest of, of any country. Uh, yes. But George also said at the end of his book, Protection or Free Trade, that the benefits of free trade are not going to be realized unless we deal with the land problem, unless yes. we deal with uh, you know, getting the public collection of, of land rent so that we can then reduce taxes on productive labor yes. and capital goods and commerce. So I, you know, I just wonder what your feelings are about all of these negotiations that are going on between countries uh, over, over trade barriers and over if you want to call it uh, fair trade versus free trade? Yes. Uh, it's a good question, Ed. A good question. Timely question. Uh, I have to say first up, uh, and for anybody listening here that uh, hasn't done anything with Henry George, I am so thankful. Henry George saved my life in a way. I am so thankful for having been able to come across the several books that, that George wrote, uh, particularly first to do with land and economics, but then also to do with free trade and tariffs. There is there there is no better person having written anything better than what George wrote on uh, on the land market and on on uh, tariffs and free trade. If you want if you want to see through the system, 
you have to read Henry George. I'm so thankful that uh, I was able to 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 do that um, at the time many years ago. So, having said that, uh, if if uh, if Mr. Trump um, persists with the tariffs, then because of course the land takes all the gains. Then if you have policies uh, that that are not good for free trade, because free trade at the end of the day um, increases land value. Um, then if you're going to put tariffs on, then it's, it works the other way and uh, it, had, it has the potential that it could reduce uh, the, um, it could reduce the, the, you know, things go into reverse slightly. So it, it, could, it could mean that we get uh, a limit on, uh, on what the cycle might do. So in, th in that particular sense, you're quite right, uh, that could be one of the limitations on the cycle. Tariffs, tariffs, um, they're not they're not good between countries. I think was it, it might even have been was it Washington himself or Benjamin Franklin said that um, trading nations don't make war, and uh, I think that's a fair statement. So where you get tariffs going up, it's um, uh, it's it's not a good thing to be doing, and it will uh, it will lower the benefits that are available to capitalise into land price. That's one thing it will do. So we have to see how that pans out. Myself, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think. Uh, Mr. Trump wants to see deals, and he, uh, although he, I think he's using the, he's using the tariffs, I think not so much as tariffs, but as a as a weapon to um, they're weaponized more. These tariffs are weaponized more or less to try and work out something with China. But at the end of the day, I think he'll want to see deals done. Um, so we have to see how that pans out. But you, you're right; you're correct in your observation, and also what George had to say about that. Yeah, it doesn't seem that I, I think the Trump administration, in one sense, I I don't agree with. With, with his decisions very often. But I do think that the North American Trade Agreement and NAFTA and the World you know, Trade Organization, that, that those initiatives were far too aggressive in the same way that the creation of the European Union was far too aggressive because it didn't really have enforcement uh, uh, ability within a lot of a lot of the, the the rhetoric that was going on I mean for example uh, you know how do you get the how do you get European countries that still have very different cultural values and cultural norms uh, and different budgets and tax regimes to use the same monetary system that oh, it, you know it, it all comes back to what uh, Henry George had to say about seeing the cat it really does. Once you get to see the cat, you can start to think in different paradigms. And um, the problems that we're getting with trade agreements and NAFTA and all the stuff that you see with, with government now that can't solve the problems, governments, that there's too much government, too many politicians, that all starts with the land question. And it all happens uh, because we enclose the rent and allow that rent to be capitalised into a land price and even worse, we allow the banks to then create credit on that land price. You know, once you've seen the cat, you really start to understand that if we freed up the land market, if we gave everybody some sort of citizen dividend from the rent uh, and then didn't have any taxes on productive activity, none of these problems would none of these problems would come up. And people would see that the more you trade with the people beside you and the better the community you create, 
um, the more rent there is. And because people would understand that once those benefits, they start flowing through into increased land value, which then were being, is being distributed through a citizen's dividend, say, people would begin to understand that you'd want trade and you'd want to communicate with people and you'd want to create no barriers at all because the less barriers you have, the more wealth you have, the more citizens' dividends you're going to get. And how you get people to see the... How you get... How you try and get people to see the cat that way and see the paradigm shift, I've racked, I've racked my brains, as you know, but once you see it, you know, it's fantastic. It's, it's probably worthwhile just stopping for a second to explain to viewers what is meant by seeing the cat. I mean, yes. it, there's an image of a, a tree that people look at and say, well, what do you see in that tree? And some people only see the tree, but other people can look more deeply and see that within the branch system of the tree, there is an image of the cat. Yeah. And so seeing the cat is getting below the surface and being able to see what's really going on. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, my observation about most mainstream economists today uh, is that they've accepted the economics of scarcity. Yes. And that, that they, they, they really think they look at, at the distribution of goods in the world as the distribution of scarce goods. Yes, and, yes. And don't really see that there is a potential for a full employment society or, or a full employment global society that Based on abundance. could arise. Based on abundance. And uh, so uh, this, is not, this is not a fair question to ask you because I don't think any of us have the answer, but you know, you've influenced a large number of people in how they make investments and how they look at the world. You get them to see the cat. Yes. And the next part of it is, well, if you are not just an investor, but you're a concerned citizen, then... Do you do anything with that knowledge to help your community, help your society? And, and I think that you and I, you know, and many of us uh, who have been associated with, with Henry George's ideas over the decades, we feel a strong social commitment uh, to try to do something positive. And yet the challenge of getting people to see the cat and then be willing to do something to work toward the solutions has just been very, very difficult. Yes, no matter, yes. you know, Sometimes I it's made even worse because when you get a, a group of people together in an organisation that, that is, is pushing absolutely zero vested interest, um, it, it doesn't have, a, it doesn't have a, a vested interest to coalesce around and, and so you get a lot of people that are... Uh, um, arguing uh, amongst themselves because there's no there's no coalescing around some vested interest that they have to continually push, um, as you know. So uh, I don't know, Ed. It's uh, it's 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 very hard. But um, um, well, you know, once people hopefully that, before your son gets too much older, there will be a change in attitude, and maybe uh, maybe we'll see some opening of new opportunities to convince people that there are, there's systemic change that's worth working for and that has a possibility of really solving many of the problems that we see all around us all the time. And, I mean, in particular, I think almost everyone who's thoughtful is concerned about climate change. Yes. Believes that this is scientific. This is a scientific reality. And what are we going to do about, you know, 
the 65% of the world's population that lives at sea level. Yes. When, when you talk about you know, an investment climate, for example, and you have a recognition in your analysis that the sea levels are rising uh, and threatening most coastal cities, well, you know, what, what, are, what are people to do? Can you move millions of people inland to higher ground? Yes. Uh, yeah, all the problems that come with that. The only thing I try and do, I just try to get people to see, uh, see um, to turn the mind a little bit just to see abundance rather than scarcity. Um, you know, uh, it's, like, it's like in Alaska. Once they see the benefits and get that dividend every year, uh, they will fight for that um, for that dividend and to have it increased, and you, they work out ways to increase it, which is by by uh, increasing community and increasing trade and things. So, when uh, when you when you give talks and you speak to groups, um, is there any ever very often or ever any interest by public officials, people who are not necessarily directed by personal investment uh, objectives? but who have found out about what you have to say and looked at your analysis and said, you know, this perhaps could be really helpful for us in understanding what's happening in our community or our, our region of the world. And, and maybe, maybe this is something we should really look at in terms of public policy analysis. Yes. I've had, uh, I've had um, local government people and, and others come along. Uh, I'm thankful because, because, uh, um, uh, investors and uh, people who want to understand that system from an investment point of view, they pay me for the advice, but that allows me to then uh, remain somewhat independent so I can then take that information further to uh, into the social sphere, which is, which is uh, what I try and do. Um, I get plenty of interest. Um, uh, it's not always easy to change their mind, to see things from a different point of view, but uh, there's, there's, you know, I find interest. Do you have another book in uh, the planning? Uh, yes, I do. But uh, the next book I want to do is a little bit to do with, um, it's a bit more esoteric. It's a bit more to do with um, stock market and real estate and explaining why the cycles 18 to 20 years, uh, why it's been so regular. Um, that's dealing a bit more uh, esoteric wise. I also, I have a book. I want to, I want to do a book. It's, it's sort of current at the moment. I've just started really showing people um, that government, the, the bigger the government, the worse the problems are going to be. And uh, the reason we get government is because we we uh, privatise the land. Uh, my book, next one book, is, is actually going to show people how you can actually uh, downsize Leviathan, downsize government, uh, and eventually work towards a system where all politicians are actually uh, volunteers. It's not a paid position and they work part-time uh, for the community. I show, I'm gonna, the book's going to show how that can be done. I'm anxious to read that analysis of how getting yeah. how to get all politicians to be volunteers. Yes, I, well, they do that in Switzerland. All Swiss politicians, they're not paid. They have to have another job yeah. and they're part-time. And uh, I'd, I'd copy the Swiss system, but I'd fund it the way the Queen works. Um, well, that's another story. We won't get into that today, but possibly. But it, it's uh, very interesting. Well, you've, you've uh, in, your, in your work, you've relied on, on the analysis by the stock market guru W.D. Gantt, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. And you've also spent a good deal of time 
looking at the the research that Homer Hoyt did on land markets in his yeah. uh, 100-year study of Chicago. Yes. Um, so I can conclude that that you, you, you see that Homer Hoyt's work had broad applicability. Yes, yes. What about, even, what about even Gant? Before that, Ed, just before you go on, even before that, it, uh, there was a chap out in St. Louis, Roy Wenslick, yeah. who may actually have been the first to actually describe the uh, the – the 17 to 18, 20 year real estate cycle. Wenslick's work was very good as well. And 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 so I, the follow up question was, you know, Gantt's analysis was written when the world, when the world of equities and bonds was quite different, much different regulatory environment. Uh, have you found his his work uh, still? You know, pretty applicable to the way the global economy is now structured with the kind of you know, global finance markets that exist? Yes, well, Gann looked at uh, charts of stock market, of stocks in the stock market, and he just didn't see price, but he saw time. And uh, I'm still finding that time unfolds in the same way that Gann says it does. Uh, it's been some interest, proving some interesting work. Um, I've been over been able to overlay his work with the, with uh, the work of um, Hoyt and Wensleek and, and Henry George theories, of course, uh, to show that it, at the end it's the it's the uh, it's the land market that's the most important at the end, especially at the extreme. Can you explain a little bit what you mean by time as a critical factor? Uh, well, you can take an event. Uh, I'll just give a. You can take an event. And you can sort of work time in 360-degree circles. You can do that in minutes, hours, days, weeks, and years. And when you get a particularly emotional event, for example, back in 2001, like 9/11, you can then you can then work in multiples of 360. So you can divide 360 by two and three and four. You get 180. You get 90 and 120, and so forth. Uh, I found it an interesting observation that when the markets in 2001 in September, September the 11th, down into the 24th of September, had a very emotional time, uh, Mr. Mr. Gann would have suggested, if he was still alive then, he would have suggested that you could do particular counts based on time frames. And after 9-11, after September 9-11, Mr. Gann would have had no problems in suggesting that stock markets would then have a significant major low 90 months later. So if you count 90 months from 9-11, you came out with March 2009, mm. and that was the bottom of the stock market, you see. And so emotions, emotions go in set timeframes, and those set timeframes are determined from, the, from that emotional event, which you could call a birth date, uh, which you can then count forward in set timeframes. The interesting thing I've found about that is that you can apply that to, to, to people's lives as well. Uh, from your birth date, you can count forward in multiples of time frames. And I found for myself and other people I look at, um, their emotional events tend to come out in those time frames. Once you start to work through that, you begin to see what Mr. Gam was really telling you is that is that um, the time frames that you manifest are determined by what you create and what society creates. So that's why 
that's why Henry George becomes so important and so critical to understand because once you can free up the land market, you can, you can, the world and society can then to begin to create far more beneficial things that work off abundance and community um, rather, than, rather than the selfish things we get created these days that are, that are just built for everybody speculating. So uh, Mr. Gann fits very well into the whole um, Henry George scenario. Fascinating stuff it is. Phil, when, when you're looking at your, your timing, your clock, yes. and you're looking at how the stars are aligning, yes. if, if that in any way conflicts with how you're feeling at the moment, yes. which side of you wins the battle? Your intellectual side or your emotional side? Oh, you have to try and take out your. You have to try and deal with these things without being emotional. It's not always easy to do. Well, I can make a forecast. Actually, you know, while we're here, I've been saying for for quite some years the way that the timing is lining up and the way things are going. Um, you know, it 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 uh, it looks a little a little grim, shall I say, for the for the United States around about two thousand twenty six. You know. The way things lining up, the counts and everything else, and hundred years is very important. Um, uh, the Mississippi, the Mississippi River, that, that giant river that, that drains possibly three quarters of the U.S. Uh, all the rivers that go into it. Um, you might see a, you could see a significant flood in um, 2000, around about 2026, with if the spring rains are late, around about uh, March, April, May of, of that year, and that the timing on that is for a, quite a significant flood, which will then create quite a bit of damage and and that's all at the peak which will all play into the real estate market and things so remains to be seen but there's some events coming through these sort of things that you can look at and we'll see what happens yeah i i i watch what's happened in the last couple of months in, in sydney in that part of australia and yes. and what bizarre weather i mean the yeah. drought and fires and now floods um it seems like you know this is the new normal uh, yes. irregular, you know, climate weather patterns is the new normal. And how? Yes. Well, it can't keep going on the way it is, Ed. As you know, that's why we do what we do. Uh, we there's another there's another billion people that are due on the planet by 2050. That'll take the the population to eight or nine billion, whatever it is. Um, you know, because because land prices are so expensive in all of the major cities, people the people have to they they go out onto the margins and. They find the free land, which is, of course, what's happening in the Amazon. The Amazon and the, the, the rainforest, it's free. People can just go there and, like they used to do in the United States back in the, uh, back in the 1800s, the, the, the margin, they get out onto the margin and it's, it's free. You, you, you take up your plot, you cut down all the trees, you start farming, um, free land, you can get out of the city. You know, all of, the, all of the cities in the world, they're expanding. In Sydney, Melbourne, the, the cities are expanding at an astonishing rate. They're expanding into areas that probably we shouldn't be building in. We probably should leave that as, as uh, nature and parks and things like that. So if a fire comes through, it, it burns like it naturally does. It doesn't burn up into, you know, all the property that everybody wants to then automatically re rebuild. Uh, we, we uh, You know, the, the world can't keep going on uh, over the next 100 years in closing uh, enclosing all the land like like it does, because then you'll get the problems that we've got. And, you know, the people um, uh, cutting down the Amazon rainforest, you know, all Georgians know why that's occurring. It's free land. You know, if you, if you just you just put a land tax or just start collecting the rent, um, none of that would be going on. You know, it's just uh, it's a tough one, but we can't keep going the way we're going. Otherwise, we're going to get the problems that we've got. We'll probably close this out pretty soon, but you bring up something that, 
that's I've found interesting, and I I make a point of discussing this with my students, and that is we have come to rely to a great extent on philanthropy to try to mitigate many of our environmental and social problems rather than relying on government. Uh, and part of it is because we're not funding government appropriately. And so a lot of the, the income and wealth is it's remaining in the hands of the very wealthy is finding its way into philanthropy. And in the environment in the United States, you may be you know, familiar with what's going on here. Uh, there are a handful of people that are buying up the country, uh, the open land in the country in, in massive quantities. Yeah. Ted Turner, uh, who made his fortune uh, in media and probably with you know, license or controlling broadcast licenses that he should have paid a lot more for. Yes. has acquired something to the effect of 2.2 million acres of land, equal to the size of the state of Delaware. Yes. And on the surface, it sounds like, gee, why did we let that happen? But then he has embarked on converting that whole land back to its original state, you know, which it was used to graze animals, cattle, sheep, etc. And he's converting it back to nature which has meant that many species of plants and animals that were close to being extinct have come back on his, on his land. And I, and I talk about that in the classroom by saying, it's fantastic that someone like Ted Turner is doing that. It's a, it's a great effort, but it is so sad that we have to depend on individuals with that kind of wealth to take care of the natural environment that, yeah. You know, if, if we'd only listen to Henry George's admonitions uh, and 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 collect the revenue as he suggested, that yeah. we as communities would be able to take care of this yeah. in a way that we haven't thus far. Yes, yes. What George said, he said himself, that the government would get as big as the problems that that uh, that manifest because we enclose the land, and you, you see the result now, where it's just uh, become uh, absolutely outrageous. Um, yes. Well, Phil, uh, before I before I let you go, uh, yes. I'd like you to at least let our viewers know how they can uh, contact you if they're interested in learning more about the work that you're doing, uh, your website yes. address. Yeah, the first thing, of course, is the is the book, uh, which I've had some amazing feedback on. I'm getting some great, uh, some I'm getting some people are really writing back some interesting things. The book is the Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. Uh, it is about American real estate and American uh, 18.6 year history. And uh, I've started something new now with uh, with my team uh, out here. It's um, it's just simply propertysharemarketeconomics.com. If you Google propertyshareemarketeconomics.com, you'll you'll find me on that website, and you can just have a look around there. There's plenty of free material you can people can have a look. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been great catching up with you, and yes, I really appreciate. Viewers need to know that we got you up at the crack of dawn uh, uh, yes. in Jakarta in order to talk with us. Yes. So it's been a real pleasure, and I I hope that uh, if you make your way to the U.S., you'll you'll look me up. And, yes, uh, yeah, we have to catch up again, Ed. So, Phil, thanks so much. My pleasure, Ed. Thanks. Take care now. And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share with a friend. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.